Greg, Tim, and Sid. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, Famous Swap. This here is the Tim and Sid Show. You are now tuned in, coast to coast, entertaining the masses, sports entertainment. Yeah. It's about to get started. Sit back, enjoy the show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? It's Thursday, December 24th. Well, not for me, actually. I'm recording this so that I can get the day off and spend it with my family. Uh, welcome to Tim and Sid. Tim McAuliffe here. Sid Sincero couldn't figure out the tech because, frankly, he's not very bright. Or he's lazy. Or he's just really smart and chilling on the couch with fries and gravy. You make the call. Christmas Eve, probably my favorite day of the year at the McAuliffe House. Uh, we used to open gifts on Christmas Eve because patience was not a virtue among the four boys growing up, and who wants to get up at like 5 a.m. anyway? So to all our friends celebrating, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas in these crazy times, and to everyone else, a happy holiday season, a happy days off if you have them. To my friends who normally make this Chinese food in a movie day, let me suggest Die Hard, the greatest holiday movie of all time. Shout out Nakatomi Plaza, and hey... From all of us and Tim and Sid, thank you for the support. We really do appreciate you, the greater Toronto area, uh, for all your love. Trust me, we feel it. And it was a big reason why, even during the toughest times this year, we never went away. Uh, the show, the station, we were right here. Because in tough times, true friends don't go anywhere. All right, let's go. We start this look back at an overwhelming 12 months, both in sport and and out of it, uh, with some of our favorite interviews of the year. And sometimes you don't know what you've got till it's gone. That seems like one of the themes of the year. Sports eventually did come back in some form or another for most. And we thank the sporting gods because trust a sports show with no sports is harder than my abs 25 years ago. In this look back, we are joined by Kyle Dubas and Mark Shapiro. Wayne Simmons returned home. Shout out the Borough of Scars. That's right. We caught up with the newest Maple Leaf as well as one of the oldest, literally, Joe Thornton, who is excited to lend some guidance to this team full of young stars. And speaking of young stars, we hear from a couple of Blue Jays. Nate Pearson, who joined us just after making his Major League debut this summer. And Austin Martin, after being drafted fifth overall. Add Fred Van Vliet, who jumped on the show Fresh off of signing his new contract with the Raptors, and I think we got ourselves a little look back, kids. But we will begin with a Toronto Maple Leafs general manager. His name, if you don't know it, is Kyle Dubas. Uh, he joined Sid in August, just a few days after being eliminated by the Columbus Blue Jackets, and he reflected on a frustrating end to the season and where his team needed to go from there. It was a good chat. It was a long chat. And here it is. Kyle, um, to echo a comment my uh, Tim likes to say a lot on the show, and he means it, and I mean it, it's easy to come on when things are going well. I can imagine uh, how, how raw the emotions still are. So thank you for coming on today, Kyle. We appreciate it. No worries. I, I often will say to our people here and, and our own family that exactly that, but it, and it goes along with the media and press of doing this job that, you can't only show up to it when you've won or when you're winning. It's uh, it's equally as important uh, when things are uh, are not as planned to to be out in front and center and and uh, taking the the heat and the bullets that are that are warranted. So thank you for having me. 
Um, first, first question. We'll, we'll dive into the nuts and bolts of your team here in a second. Obviously, big picture though, what you just experienced in that bubble, what the league put together, the organization in the bubble, the, the fact that all those tests were coming back negative, and the feeling to eventually go home. What, what was that like? Um, once we were in, it, it really kind of flew by and we were, we were only there for two weeks, but it, it wasn't, um, it, it was done so well. Like the hotel was very nice. The meals were, were great. Um, and, and just the way that your days were, were so like, they had to be so structured. So your testing time, your bus time, how long you could be at the rink when you were at the rink versus normal. Um, like some days your practices were at, you know, nine o'clock in the morning, other days they were at three or four. Uh, and the days where they were at three or four really made the day much different than any day we normally face where you're at the rink very early and you're, and the players are gone by one and, um, and the staff has gone by, you know, three or four after being there for since five or six in the coach's case. So, uh, they were much different days. And I think it, it flew by, especially once the series started, uh, it really flew by, um, with playing every other day and then back to back days and three and four. But I think the way that the NHL did it and, and what you know, we were only at the Royal York, but what their staff did there and, and combined with staff here at the rink, it was, uh, it was one thing to hear about it, but to live it, they, they did such an amazing job with, with everything. And, uh, experience that you'll never forget. Unfortunately, we wish that we were there a bit longer in the, and we were exiting with, um, with better feelings, but nonetheless. Kyle Dubas, at least GM, joining us here. So obviously, as you're mentioning, coming up short, uh, first round qualifying round, it, it's not what you hope for in your first couple of years as the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. What do you think that you guys need to do and maybe be better at in order to fill your own or fulfill your own expectations? Well, I think that it would be great, um, Tim, if if our progress was was a straight line, and you know we we went uh, year after year, taking one you know putting one foot in front of the other, and continuing to make progress to, to where we ultimately want to go. But whether it's with our team or or, or others in in our sport or different sports, it's it's often not that way. And and I understand and get that. Um, people are very critical of us right now and rightfully so. I mean, we've, we've been in positions now the last three seasons where we had a game seven at Boston. We lost, we had game six and seven last year against Boston. We lost. And then we had uh, game five here against Columbus and we lost. Um, and it, we're in a, a market that's extremely passionate, um, but that has millions of people uh, following each and everything we do every day. And thus there's a, there's a strong appetite for, uh, media and all of those things that you can you can say that they're difficult when um, uh, when things are tough because the pressure comes the heat comes but there that's part of the thing that gives us the resources we have and allows us to be such a special place to to live and play when things are going so well uh, so I don't think you can condemn them at this point um, but the reality is I, I understand why people are disappointed in us and we're disappointed in ourselves as well we firmly believe that we had a lot better to offer and, and that we do moving forward and I think the the key thing right now is not to overreact and make any decisions now that don't need to be made until we get into the off season and we have our discussions with uh, with different teams um, and, and see where where they're looking to go with their clubs, see if there's a fit uh, with some of the free agents that will come available and, and some of the trading partners about how we can continue to mold our club to where we want to, where we want to get it to. And I think our past trades uh, that we've made here um, in the last two years certainly give a, a strong indication of where we would look to go with that. Kyle Dubas, Leafs GM here on Tim and Sid. So what, I mean, it's impossible to say because we don't, we don't even know when technically your off season is going to begin here, Kyle, but mm-hmm. um, 
if you're going to make changes, where are the changes? Where does this team have to be better? Well, I think, you know, the, the one area is, and I think Sheldon's talked about it. I talked about it before we went in, Sid, and, and I, I think all three of us, Shani, myself, and Sheldon, talked about it today, is it's it's what everybody knows because everybody's watched it for the last two years. It's in in games where and in series where we have chances to uh, to close the series down. So in game three against Columbus, we're up three nothing. They come back and tie the game and we lose in overtime. And then in game five against Columbus, just not being able to convert on our chances and and you know we have to stop. Uh, putting ourselves in those, you know, in those deciding games, not that we don't want to be comfortable in them, but when we have chances to take control and end a series much earlier. So whether that's game six against Boston last year or finishing off Boston in seven the year before our, my, our mentality has to, um, has to shift and we have to have that, uh, that instinct to finish off the opponent when we've got them against the ropes and we haven't shown that yet. Now, is that a maturity thing? Is it a personnel thing? It's probably a little bit of both. And so we'll continue to, um, uh, we'll continue to look at all of those aspects as we break it all down, but we're not going to sit still and, and uh, likely just say this is fine and we're going to give it another go and, and uh, just expect that it's going to be different next time. We're going to do a deep dive on where we're at and, and um, how we can improve in that, in that realm, whether it's with, with what we're doing in, in practice and games and preparation and with our personnel, whether there, there are different guys that we can bring in that can help us achieve what we want to achieve and, and we, won't, uh, we won't leave anything unturned. I understand that you're talking about finish here, and there are some, including me, who have questioned whether everyone is willing to do what it takes uh, to win when it matters most. That that perhaps in this year, that will won over skill in the qualifying round, that there needs to be more sacrifice as a group to be harder to play against. Uh, were you, Sheldon and Brendan Shanahan, happy with the effort? Like, Do you feel like your guys played hard enough, sacrificed enough, to win in the Stanley Cup playoffs, I thought that we I thought that we played hard in the series, um, Tim. I thought we could certainly. Uh, I thought where we where we got away from what we needed to do. If I could go to one instance, I thought in Game One we were a little bit lax, whether it was the environment or or whatever it was, um, and got back on our heels. And then I thought we responded great in Game Two and played one of our better games. Where where I would really key in on if I wanted to focus on exactly what you're referencing is Game Three. So we take the lead three nothing, and you know Sheldon afterwards didn't think we played great. I, I would I would agree with him, but we were still in the lead three nothing. And at that point, I think, you know, you can point to whatever you want, but, you know, there's instances within that game where we're, whether it's focus or mindset, we just weren't locked in to where we needed to be. So mistakes cost us on, on, I would, their first goal, I would, I would kind of throw aside, but their second and third to tie the game where at those moments when you need to check down and play a certain way um you know we we need to look at that moment as a strong teaching point similar last year against boston in game six after we took the lead against them here at home with a chance to win where, where we have to take those steps now that's happened with two different head coaches but with a lot of the same players and so there needs to be some introspection amongst everybody here but that's i mean i, I thought our, our effort level was good i thought we blocked shots I, I didn't think it was a series where they physically uh ran us over i thought we gave it back uh, just as well as, as as they tried to give it to us um though some may disagree with that uh, i thought in, in the end 
you know, our penalty kill was, was excellent. And that didn't allow a goal the entire time and really not many chances. And I, I think that speaks to the effort and commitment on that side of it. I think, you know, it's, it's continuing to stick with it when, when we're at that point where we have someone on the ropes doing what we need to do to finish them off. Kyle Dubas, Leafs GM here on Tim and Sid. Kyle, you're, you, you've gotten to this point in your career for a reason. You have a way of thinking about this game that you trust, and I respect that. Um, if next year plays out like the previous four, do you got to rethink some things? Uh, I think I rethink. I think you know. It, it, before getting to that point, uh, said I, I don't. I, I, I certainly have certain things that I value, but I, I'm. I don't. I wouldn't consider myself to be a, a really uh, stubborn person on it. I, I always think that. Um, especially for me, uh, I don't have, um, this is only my, my second at the end of my second year, going to my third year in this position. And I, I have, it'll be my, just my seventh year in the NHL. So it's not a, um, it's not a huge amount of, um, uh, of experience relatively speaking. So uh, I, I think, and even no matter how long I'm able to do this, uh, I never want to be somebody that's transfixed in, in their thinking and everyone, our organization to be there. I think we've, We've, we've built our team with, with based around you know very high draft picks with very talented people, and now we're trying to fill out the, the rest of it to, to allow our talent to shine through at those key moments, like, like Tim's question alluded to. Um, but I, I don't think that it will wait for another year. I think you know starting right now, we'll continue to we'll, we'll start to evaluate where we're at, where we might have gone wrong, and, and adapt so that we're avoiding this exact question uh, next year. I, I would I would hate. I think it would be a, a disservice for me to the organization to, to not, uh, to not evaluate that now rather than to wait a, a whole other year. Um, and, and, uh, if we're in the same spot next year after doing the same thing, I think that'd be a really uh, strong condemnation of the job that, that I had done. So, um, I, I'm aware of that. And, and I look at it as my, um, the onus is on me solely to, to, uh, ask those questions of myself and, and, uh, and try to correct, um, the various things that have led us to, to fall short of our potential. Kyle Dubas here on Tim and Sid Leafs GM. Um, so Sunday happens, Kyle, and I don't, I don't know how much social media you took in, but uh, I, I obviously was on it, and, and Leaf, Leafs Nation did what Leafs Nation did. They were upset. And, and I saw some names tossed around about this person can't be back, Kyle needs to move that person, blah, blah. I, I saw Mitch Marner's name come up, and Tim brought it up yesterday. I almost fell off my chair when I read that. Now, Now, to be fair... And Mitch even said this today. He was not engaged at all in game one. And for, for the money and the cap room you allot him, that is unacceptable for you, Sheldon, and the franchise. I think we can all agree on that. But you're not trading Mitch, right? Like, let's just settle this now for anyone listening, anyone watching. Like, that, that's an untouchable for you, would you, would you not say? I, I don't know where that – I mean, I'm, I'm aware of it because it's, I've been asked about it today, uh, Sid. I don't know where it came from um, and, and where, the, where the negativity towards Mitch comes from. But if we're, if we're going to win here and we're going to have success here, uh, Mitch Marner, his talent being, being one thing, but who he is as a person uh, being the other part is going to be pivotal to us winning. And I think the um, the dumbest thing we could do is irrationally. I mean, we're, we're talking about a player who still had almost 70 points in just under 60 games, and which would put him over a full year again to to pass 90 points. Um, and he's 23 years old. It, I think it would be 
uh, stupid on my part and crazy, uh, not only for what he does uh, on the ice and his talent level, how hard he plays, the fact that he plays in every situation for our team and against the other team's best players and produces at a high clip, um, but probably just as importantly, which is which is amazing to say because of his talent, but what he brings to the group off the ice. So um, his uh, energy, his spirit, um, the work that he does in the community, um, which is incredible. And he was our nominee for the, uh, the King Clancy award, which, which we don't take lightly here. And he, you know, it was a hands down that he was going to be our nominee because of the amount of stuff that he does in the community. He's a local player that's come up uh, with our organization and been an extremely uh, productive player for us. Uh, and especially given his age, I think he's only going to continue to get better. And I think this criticism that he's taking now um, will be made to look uh, very ridiculous um, next year and every year beyond, because I don't think it's warranted now. And uh, with regards to us moving Mitch Marner, um, it's not going to happen. Do you think that his contract puts unreal expectations on him? Um, I was just previously asked that, uh, Tim. Yeah. I don't know, but I don't. I mean, I think I had a look at it after the the previous interview, and you know, I get that there are players that that people say are are comparables to him that um, that sign for less. And my response was that you know, two of the three players brought up signed for three years and not the six that Mitch gave. And I think in, in, in our, in, in the way the economics work, the more years that you give a team, um, um, certainly at, as a restricted free agent, the more money you're going to get uh, right. versus a bridge deal. So there were two players in particular mentioned and Mitch outproduced them during the season and, and significantly less games. Um, and then there was the other player that was mentioned. I don't want to get into the names of it because right. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but you know, Mitch outproduced that player, signed a long-term deal for a little bit less, a uh, million and a half less or whatever it is, by 27 points or something like that. So I, I think that um, if, if that's the way that people want to look at it, that's fine. But the salary cap and, and where we're at is not our – not. Uh, it, that's my responsibility to dance around. And I, I think that this contract and Austin's and, and the rest, like we're going to get full value from them. I have no doubt right. about that. So if that's what has – got people all whipped up then i i i'm, I'm sorry for them but mitch martyr is a player that's that's going to have you know a great career here uh, as a toronto maple leaf and if he just carries on the way that he started uh, he'll end up as, as being one of the, the top players in our franchise i know we're getting tight here on time but the natural follow from me then is obviously a global pandemic has made this even tougher but do you believe that a team can win it all with four forwards making 40.5 million on a near 80 million dollar cap yeah i i think the i mean the, the cap is going to be the same this year and obviously i think we, i'm not going to dance around it i think that, that we, we weren't expect we we, we often planned and brandon pritam here does a great job of always keeping that in check and playing out all the different scenarios so the way when, when we did all the deals we we of course were and one of the things you're hoping for is that the cap goes up and that you give yourself a little bit more room. But if the cap doesn't go up or it remains stagnant or they, or they placed a, a slowing growth on it, like basketball had, would, would we, you know, the, their key question was, are these deals going to be worth it? Are they going to be valuable? And, 
uh, I think for all of them, we we felt it unequivocally that they were, and so that they were no problem. And and now the now the challenge is that with the with we know the salary cap is going to be staying uh, low, and it's just the the pressure is going to come to me to uh, be able to you know basically operate with the rest of the space and uh, and, and maximize the efficiency of of the roster, right? So uh, I, I understand that the the questions that come with that. I understand the concerns of the fans and the media, but. Um, I think that will that will ultimately be what, how uh, my time here is defined. Is is how you know those players are all going to produce and they're all going to be great players for us. It's can uh, can we uh, do the dance around the edges of the roster that can get uh, that can get us to where we want to go? And uh, I I fully uh, accept that and understand that that responsibility. And um, we'll be working at it every day here until they let us back to play to to make sure we're in a good spot. And and Kyle, last one from me considering what the cap is going to look like the next couple of years and, and the, the lack of movement, can you get your blue line to where you want it to be um, with that cap where it is? Is it, is it dollar in, dollar out for your organization? Like how, I mean, because the blue line's an issue as well at times. Yeah, I, I think, well, I mean, with where we're at, uh, Sid, I, I would say that we, we have to be better everywhere, right? And and uh, we, we will always, as long as we're, uh, having any of these calls and, and the result hasn't been us winning the Stanley Cup, I, I think we'll, we'll always be looking at everything for where we can improve. And I know that um, that the defense gets a lot of the discussion. I, I think we've got, you know, some some excellent pieces there that are that are proven guys. And, and Riley and, and Muzzin, we've had a real strong year from Hall, which we think he'll just continue to improve. And then we've got sort of the, the collection of, of younger guys there in, in Dermot, Sandy, and Lilligren that uh, that we need to continue to take steps and and uh, then we have the ufas um so you know there, there is some space there uh, we need to we'll, we'll investigate everything that's available to improve the group in any position uh, by a trade or free agency and i think that the major benefit is that um that if there is something that fits and it's not a dollar in dollar out scenario i think the the contracts that we have um up front um will certainly carry value in the league even despite the uh, the economic situation, whether it's budgetary or, or salary cap wise. And um, so we'll, we'd be able to create space if, if we felt there was a, a tangible upgrade that can help the team. And myself and Sheldon will, will get to work on looking at all those options as the, the conversations with other GMs pick up here at the end of the week and into next week and all through the summer and fall. Well, despite some salary cap restrictions, he did make some improvements in a busy offseason for the Maple Leafs. We'll hear from two of the players he added, Joe Thornton, in just a bit. And after the break, it is Scarborough's finest. And there are a few. Wayne Simmons, he's coming home, kids. Adding some much-needed grit to the Toronto Maple Leafs up front. We'll catch up with him after the break. This is the best of Tim and Sid on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Welcome back to the best of Tim and Sid. Tim McAuliffe here with you. Hope you're enjoying your Christmas Eve. And thanks again to Kyle Dubas for joining us at a frustrating time for him. Toronto's a tough market. And let's be honest, it's not always easy to answer those questions. And speaking of tough and Toronto, Wayne Simmons is a Maple Leaf. We put it all together as Simmons joined us in the fall to discuss his decision to join his hometown club. Uh, Wayne, welcome to the show, man. Growing up, uh, who was your favorite Leaf? Uh, first of all, thank you for welcoming me to the show. I'm, I'm happy to be on and obviously speak with you guys. Awesome. Uh, growing up, I'd have to say my favorite Leaf was obviously, well, I know I, I say obviously, but Matt Sundin. That guy was all time. Nice. Um, 
obviously good Scarborough boy returning home for those who don't know. Have you processed what it'll be like to play at home after all these years? Um, I think I'm getting a little taste of it today with the amount of text and phone calls. And yeah, your ninth interview yeah. of the day, Wayne. Welcome to Toronto. Nine interviews. Yeah, that's going to be the norm. Yeah, no, it's it's literally been nonstop. Sorry, I just got a crazy door. My dogs are barking. It's been nonstop, um, you know, on my phone since, I think, 12 p.m. So, um, you know, I'm running out of battery here. I thought it was going to overheat a little bit, but, no, we're still good. We're, we're good to go. Um. Wayne Simmons, newest member of the Toronto Maple Leafs here on Tim and Sid. Wayne, Mark Bergevin just said apparently at his presser, I read this, I did not hear it, forgive me, but he did say that he offered you more to go there than initially or eventually you took from the Leafs. A, is that, I'm not going to ask for the number, but A, is that accurate? And B, what does that say about how badly you wanted to make this move and play for your your childhood team? Um, Yeah, it's accurate. Um, I... You know, they did offer me more money. Um, but sometimes it's not always about money. Sometimes it's about the fit. You know, okay. it's about your family. Um, you know, and for me, obviously, um, you know, coming home, I got a lot of, you know, a lot of people here, friends and family and, you know, everything like that. So, um, you know, I always said to myself, me and my wife, you know, if we ever got an opportunity, you know, to where we could, you know, play at home, you know, we'd like to take that opportunity. So, um, you know, it presented itself this year and, you know, we jumped all over it. Wayne Simmons joining us here on Tim and Sid. Uh, some of that has to do with the team that you're joining, I'm assuming. How, how close do you believe the Leafs are and where oh, yeah. do you think you could help them? Um, I think they're extremely close. You know, I said it earlier, um, you know, in another interview, I think the skill on that team is second to none. Um, and I think where I come in, you know, I think that physical aspect of veteran presence, you know, I've been in the league a long time, um, you know, so I, I know what it is to, you know, carry yourself professionally on and off the ice and, um, you know, in circumstances. I realize the market that Toronto is and, you know, everything that it comes with. Um, but like you said, first and foremost, I think it starts with the product, you know, that uh, the Leafs put on the ice and, you know, getting a chance to slide in that lineup. Um, you know, you know, and, and to become the best player I can, I, I think this is, you know, the perfect spot for me, um, you know, you know, positionally-wise. So um, that was obviously a huge thing. And then I think second of all, you look at, you know, your living conditions. And I'm from Toronto. So um, there's nothing that's ever going to surprise me about this city. I know it inside and out. I'm just going to tell you right now, I am going to teef your functional toughness that you used on Hockey Central. I don't know if you, you remember how you described <laughs> functional toughness, but that will be uh, a straight teef from Uncle Did Timmy say, for a long time. Yeah, I, I may have said teef. Oh, he said teef. He said teef. No, that's exactly what he said, Wayne. You're picking up what he's putting down. You're, you're, he said teef. Oh, I can... Yeah, that can that, that can go on still. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, Tell the man. Yeah, I know that's just something that I've, you know, I just always tough. I, I I've always I found, you know, the last couple of years. Obviously, I haven't, you know, been on my grades for you know some different circumstances. But, um, you know, I keep saying it to teams. I, I'm not coming here to be a hired gun. You know, I'm a good hockey player as well. It's not like I'm just going to come, um, you know, and fight the whole world. But at the same time. I'm not afraid to fight the whole world, but I'm a hockey player first. And, you know, that, that stuff just comes with my game. And I think that's just an extra, you know, added, you know, dimension that I can bring as well. Wayne Simmons, newest member of the Toronto Maple Leafs here on Tim and Sid. Um, 
but Wayne, I think it's it's. I mean, everyone kind of runs to the fighting. I don't even think it's about that. And if I if I read this fan base properly right now, and Tim, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I I could count, I believe, on one hand, the amount of scrums I witnessed during a Leaf game last season, and I'm not kidding. Um, I just think the Leaf, the, the Leaf fan base on in a certain hand? way. I'm telling Wayne, I'm not even making that up. On one hand. The pushback, the scrums. I'm not talking to fight, but you know what I mean. Just to let the guys know you're there after the whistle. I'm not going anywhere, yeah. and I'm big. And it's not like they don't have big guys, but they just there's a lot of skating back to the bench with this team. I anticipate things may change a little bit in that specific regard with you. Um, I'd say yeah. You know, I'm a no-nonsense type of guy. I'm not going to put up with anything. Um, you know, I think it, I start with you know protecting my teammates. First and foremost, if I don't like what I see, you know, I'm going to intervene, you know, and I'm going to make it a point to let you know that if you're going to continue to do that, you're going to have to pay for it. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'd say there's going to be a few more scrums, but um, like you said, it's not always about fighting. I think it's just sometimes it's about showing up. Sometimes it's about, um, you know, playing with that physical edge, um, you know, whether it's, you know, face washing a guy or making sure you're finishing every single body check. Um, you know, and just playing through the body. Um, you know, those things are, you know, I think they're huge when it comes down to playoffs. And, um, you know, as you get later into the season and things like that, you know, you grind down your opponents. And, um, you know, I think that stuff is very necessary. You know, there's a lot of talk about toughness, and it's understood. Um, but if it's limited to one or two guys or it's buried in the bottom six, it's hard to assert yourself. Have the Leafs and Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe talked to you about the opportunities that you might have to move up and down lines? Because I remember a day when uh, Wayne Simmons was scoring a lot of goals in the NHL. Will, will you get that opportunity in Toronto? Um, if I'm playing at my best, yeah. Um, you know, I think there's an understanding to where you know I know where I am, where I'm coming into this team, and you know how I feel about myself, and it's about performance right now. Um, regardless of if I, if I sign with the Maple Leafs or if I sign somewhere else, you know it, it's a, a point in my career where I got to show that you know I deserve it and I can earn it, and I got no problem with that. Um, you know I think that's how it should be. You know you can come to to the team at the start of the season, and um, you know you got to earn what you get. So I'm completely fine with that. I have no problem earning, earning what I what I'm gonna get because. Um, I'm a confident person, and I know what I can bring to this team. And you know, I'm going to do everything you know within my power, um, you know, to help improve this team. And you just said something to where um, you said about toughness. You know, it, it is about team toughness. And by me being added to this lineup, I think you know it may help guys. You know you know, bring that out of guys more right. so because, you know, you have someone there that's willing, you know, to go out there and, and, and fight on their behalf, fight on the, the team's behalf and, um, you know, to stand up for guys. And I think that makes, you know, guys play a little bit bigger than they usually do. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something I'm extremely excited about. And, um, you know, and obviously just putting on the blue and white. Um, it, it's, it, it's crazy to even think right now. It's still, I'm still kind of processing Wayne Simmons joining us here on Tim and Sid, and I know that you're you're a proud Scarborough guy. I'm a Victoria Park and Lawrence guy, technically Don Mills, but my 7-Eleven was in Scarborough. So <laughs> I feel like I, I have a little spot in me if I was getting my uh, my slushies in Scarborough. Yeah, um, BP, BP can be Scarborough. <laughs> uh, and I know you've done a lot of work in the community. Does Does it mean something to be back 
and show that it's possible from anywhere and especially for people of color uh, who can sometimes feel like they're left out of this yeah. game. Yeah. Um, for me, it's all about, I think a lot of it is representation. You can't be what you don't see. And, you know, for me, I was lucky enough to have guys like Kevin Weeks and, um, you know, run hockey camps, you know, and Anson Carter would come, you know, and, and help out. And, you know, we had a bunch of, you know, black hockey players who were counselors who were obviously in between the younger players and the older guys, you know, that were playing major junior and tier two and things of that nature. So when you see something, you know, that somebody who looks like you doing what you ultimately want to accomplish, um, it makes you want to work that much harder because you know it is a possibility. And like you guys said, I have done a lot of uh, community work in, in Scarborough and um, the whole reason why I do that is, is representation. I, I don't think you can be what you can't see. So for me, it's important um, to get out into the community, um, you know, and especially, you know, for the players of college, let them know that, you know, I was once too in your shoes. I've gone through probably, not, I'm, I can't say the exact same circumstances, but probably somewhat close circumstances to what, um, you know, a lot of the younger, younger guys are going through. So I think for me, um, you know, if I can be an example to where, um, you know, a, a kid can, you know, look up to me and believe that, you know, he can now one day make the NHL, um, you know, that's unbelievable. And, and that's always been my message. Um, you know, when I was younger, um, even before I made, you know, major junior or, you know, even tier two, you know, my mom, my mom made me make a promise to her being that if I ever made, you know, the NHL that I would come back. You know, and I'd give back to Scarborough because Scarborough gave so much to me. So, um, you know, I live by that. I'm going to continue to live by that. And, um, you know, hopefully some kids out there will see me and see what I'm doing, um, you know, that look like me. And, you know, this will be a game that they'll pick up. And, um, you know, they'll, they will one day, too, you know, be in the NHL. Nice. Well, Wayne, um, just uh, for you and your entire family, I can imagine what this day means on a lot of levels. So on that front, I want to congratulate you and the fam. And uh, on behalf of a lot of Leaf fans Thank you. Thank uh, who, who've been really kind of earning for this type of signing, you are most welcome to them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I stay safe. Things are kind of crazy still, as we know, especially in Ontario. Stay safe. Enjoy the day. Yep. Soak it in. Well-deserved. And let's talk again uh, down the line when we're your ninth interview of the day on that day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sounds good to me, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on, for sure. Thanks again to Wayne for joining us. Coming up after the break, another homecoming of sorts. We're going to chat another new leaf. Joel Thornton. It took a while, but the St. Thomas native is playing on his first Canadian NHL team. Jumbo Joe. Next, you're listening to the best of Tim and Sid on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Welcome back. This is the best of Tim and Sid. I'm Tim McCallum. Still to come in the next hour, we're going to talk Blue Jays with Mark Shapiro, Nate Pearson, and Austin Martin. Then Raptors, which boy, Freddie Van Vliet, uh, Dubas and Simmons and Thornton. Oh, my. We're not done with the Maple Leafs just yet. Uh, you guys wanted the Buds to add some toughness. Boom. Wayne Simmons. But you guys also wanted them to add some experience. Boom. That's what our next guest will break uh, because he's been around the block once, maybe even twice. We caught up with Joe Thornton in Switzerland to talk about his new role with his new team. 
I, I'm always interested when, when people who haven't been Leafs for a while come into the Maple Leaf experience and have to do a lot more media than they've normally done. As a 41-year-old, like how was it alarming how much media you've had to do since making the move? Um, I think at 41, I've kind of seen it all. So it wasn't really a big, big shock to me. Fair um, enough. So it is, you know, it is what it is. And, and I'm just happy to do it. We had a discussion on Friday when the news broke about whether this is an I'm going home move or this is my best chance to win a cup move. Like, how do, how do you see the decision that you made? Probably, you know, 1%, you know, mom and dad um, right. being able to come um, and 99% hockey. I think this team, you know, it's, it's, it's a motivated group. Um, it's a young, hungry group. And I think it, you know, has Stanley Cup potential. Um, but, you know, really it's going to be day-to-day. We can't look at the outcome right now. we got to go day-to-day when this whole thing starts. Joe Thornton here on Tim and Sid. Joe, um, February 24th of this year, which seems like eight years ago, but that was the last uh, proper trade deadline. Was there a feeling this might happen then? Well, obviously you said what you said to the media, and there was a feeling that you were yearning for another shot at the Cup. Yeah. But were the Leafs, now in, now in hindsight, I think, I think we're safe to talk about it. Were they close? Were they, were they making a pitch from what you heard? Well, I think, honestly, I think since, you know, probably 2017, um, they've been, you know, seeing if I'd come to Toronto. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily just the trade deadline. Um, but I think it's been, you know, a, a few years now they've been, you know, knocking at the door just seeing if I'd come. So it's just, um, yeah, to be here now, it's great. You know, we're on across the country and there's a lot of fans outside of Toronto. Uh, there are a lot of non-Leaf fans who are just making sure that you realize that this group hasn't won a series yet and it's been a few years in Toronto. Like, I know you keep saying, I have to represent the yeah. entire country here, Joe. Like, yeah. do you, when you watch this team, do you feel like they're better than they've been able to accomplish thus far? 100%. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I realize what's been going on there in Toronto. I've, uh, I've being in the West Coast, we get to watch a lot of the early games. So I've watched a lot of their games over the past, you know, little while. And I know what's up. But, you know, I really, truly believe, you know, this is a really good team. A lot of great pieces, great goaltending. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun experience. But it's a, it's a very deep team. And, um, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Joe, what will your role be? Because that was another part of this conversation Friday. We were all just yeah. kind of for, – forgive us, Joe. You were a bit of a talking point in this country on Friday. <laughs> oh, yeah? Um, yeah? Like, what? Like how, how do you see yourself after talking? I know it's initial. We don't even know when the next season's yeah. starting. But after talking yeah. to Kyle and, and Sheldon, how does Joe Thornton envision Joe Thornton's role on the Leafs? Yeah, we'll, we'll just wait kind of and see in training camp, you know, where, where Sheldon puts me, to be honest with you. But I'm getting some games over here in Switzerland. Uh, it's been great. I played my first game the other night. You know, going to sh- shake off some rust over here for, for the next month or how long uh, it takes to get back there. But, you know, just uh, help out as, as much as I can. And I talked to Patty Marlowe. Patty Marlowe said, great group of young players. They're, you know, willing to work, willing to listen. So just uh, whatever, whatever they need, I'll be there for them. What was the toughest part of leaving San Jose? Well, it's been home for 15 years. You know, that's where my kids grew up. I got two kids, 10 and 7, so they're going to miss their buddies and, and their school there and, and things like that. Um, and the fans have been so, so great to me. The organization's been great to me. So, you know, there's a lot of things I'm going to miss about it. Joe Thornton here on Tim and Sid. What did, uh, what did Patrick Marlowe tell you about what it's like being a Leaf? Loved it. Yeah, he loved it. He said, um, first-class organization, uh, they treat the players great. Um, anything you need, you know, they, they really look after their players. And, yeah, I almost went with him, like I said, a couple of years ago, and, and it just didn't transpire. But he, he had nothing but uh, great words to say about the whole, whole Leaf organization. 
So it seems like you got some pretty Im impressive conciliary here. If you ever watch any mafia movies, you know yeah. when you when you lean on someone for some input, the the conciliary. Yeah. You got Patty Marlowe, and then we heard Joe Montana. Like, yeah. how did that come about, and how did Joe Montana help you make this decision? No, I, well, I, I've met Joe you know, a handful of times just being out in the Bay Area. And we have a really good mutual friend. And he said, hey, I went, and I was talking with this mutual friend about it. And he said, hey, you got to talk to Joe. And so, uh, yeah, I gave Joe a call. And, and we talked for about, you know, 20 minutes uh, about him, you know, leaving the Bay Area and going to, to Casey at the end of his career. And, um, I was just picking his brain a little bit. And, um, yeah, he was, he was gracious enough to give me his opinion. Joe Thornton here on Tim and Sid. Um, how many years you got left, Joe? And I don't ask that in any disrespectful no. way at all. You yeah. are you are a unicorn. Well, how long how long yeah. do you want to do this? Um, as long as I can. I love I love the game. I truly love competing with the fellas. Um, I like I like the fellowship. I love everything about hockey. Um, but I've you know the last five years I've really taken it day to day, um, and I think that's what's been driving me is just, you know, I, I don't really see too far ahead. I just see day to day and just kind of keep it in a small window. And it's, you know, it's helped me along these years. We're going to talk to Jerome McGinley later on in the show. And, and he just got the call for the hall of fame. Um, and he did it without yeah. a cup. Yeah. Why, why is that final piece so important to you? Well, I, when you're a young boy playing in, you know, in street hockey that's hey it's this is the stanley cup you know that's why you play the game it's it's uh it's a little kid in you that you still have at the age of 41 it's just um it's a big magical thing that that uh that i want to bring to leaf nation now um can you wrap your head around what that would be like <laughs> no no but we're gonna go day to day day to day day to day i hear how, uh, how cool would it be for mom and dad though like you you said that i know you said earlier that this is a hockey decision yeah. yeah but as you talk about the little boy and what it means to win a cup i'm sure a little boy also means a lot for mom and dad to be down the road and be able to have dinners yeah. and things oh, like yeah. that it's yeah it's great for my kids you know they get to see grandma and grandpa all the time now so it's great for them um but yeah, that, you know, like I said, it was 1%, you know, this is a hockey decision and a hockey decision only for me. Um, one of the most significant moments of your career happened in May when you shaved the beard. I think, <laughs> I think we can all agree on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Forget the gold medals, whatever. Shave the beard. Yeah. Uh, no, it's all, they're all on the list. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, gold medals, yeah, yeah, hard, yeah. MVP, you know, yeah. they're all important. Yeah. They're all important. <laughs> but the shaving the beard shook people to their core are you surprised at the emotional attachment people had to your beard and will you having shaved it and looking back on that moment, try and do it again because it's become a part of who Joe Thornton is? Yeah, I was, I, you know, I, I've grown it twice. I've had it big twice. So um, yeah, there was a lot of mixed reviews on it. I think uh, early on it was, you know, a nice, strong brown beard. And then later on, it turned into a little bit of a tinge of gray. So um, were you ashamed it was gray? Like, is that why no, it also came no, off? Or were you proud no, of it? No, I think you should be proud it's like of it. A Richard, yeah, it's like a Richard. I thought I looked like Richard Gere a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, my, my son really, really likes it. Um, so I'll probably, you know, get a little head start over here growing it back again, I think. Um, 
Before we let you go, Joe, we appreciate the time from, from across the Atlantic. Um, there's a lot of focus on the cup with you, obviously, because you've had such a, such, a, such a good career, such a great career. We often don't talk about what you're most proud of. What, what, in the hockey world, what are you the most proud of in terms of the things you've accomplished? Yeah, well, I think playing so long, I think that's, uh, you know, that's been, you know, a real blessing me being healthy all these years. I think being part of the great Canadian teams that I've been a part of, um, you know, some great moments in Vancouver, some great moments in Toronto over the years. Um, but I think just the friendships I've had over the, you know, 23 years, it's, uh, they're long lasting friendships. And, um, they always say these hockey guys are good guys, but really, um, you know, over these last 72 hours, you know, a lot of ex-teammates have, have called and text and, um, you know, the support they've, they've shown me. It's, it's, uh, it's a really a great guy, great game with uh, a lot of great guys in it. Hey, listen, we understand it's getting pretty late over there in Switzerland. So we appreciate yeah. you taking the time, uh, providing us with a wonderful backdrop for this interview as well. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> the curtains. Like a, Thank you. Like a veteran. <laughs> like a veteran. Of the, uh, appreciate it, man. Best of luck in Davos. And when you get back here, hopefully we can uh, have you in studio or do in one studio. of those things that we used to be able to do back in the day yeah. before this thing hit. That'd be great. All right. You guys stay safe, eh? Thanks again to Joe Thornton. All right. Coming up. Second hour of this Christmas Eve edition of the best of Tim and Sid. We'll hear from Mark Shapiro, Nate Pearson, Austin Martin, and Fred Van Vliet. That's all next, so keep it locked, please. Please, it's our livelihood. Uh, We get paid to do this as shockingly as that is. Uh, It's the best of Tim and Sid, and you're listening on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Time for Tim and Sid. Time for Tim and Sid. Time for Tim and Sid. It's time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and Sid Sexero. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Tim McAuliffe here on a very Merry Christmas Eve, or we hope so, in this stupid-ass 2020. Merry Chinese food and a movie for many as well. Happy holidays to everybody. We're going to keep rocking with the best of Tim and Sid. A big thanks to Kyle Dubas, Wayne Simmons, and Joe Thornton. All-important year for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We look forward to many more conversations with them in the new year. Going to switch gears to baseball, though, now, where a young Blue Jays core has captured the imagination of the city and country once again. Sure, they made the playoffs in a year the league expanded them, but who cares? They made the playoffs without a home in the middle of a pandemic. We got up with Mark Shapiro, who you can feel is starting to turn the corner even with the haters. We talked to him during the World Series about a very unique 2020 season. Mark Shapiro, President and CEO of the Toronto Blue Jays, kind enough to join us on this edition of Tim and Sid. Mark, always great to talk to you. Did you see the guy throw his glove on the field last night after Will Smith went deep? Did you catch that? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> what do you... Uh, how, how, yeah, yeah, the double clutch is toss it. How much of World Series are you watching yeah. here, Mark? Like, how much... What do you make of it? Um... I've I've watched a lot of the playoffs, probably more than I normally would. It's always kind of something where uh, if we're not in it, the, the two things would get me to, to watch it. One would be someone I'm, I'm very personally tied to. In this case, Dave Roberts and Kevin Cash are both guys that I have great relationships with, and a lot of that, uh, a lot of the Dodger organization and and Rays organization I've known and appreciate. So, in this game, when you worked in it long enough, you pull for people, not teams. Uh, but I also 
kind of grudgingly. I don't, I watch one eye on and one eye off because if you're not playing and you're not a little bit bitter watching the other guys play, there's, there's something to matter. I'm, I'm very interested and certainly interested in a lot of the different performances. And this year is more compelling than any other year to watch, to see how it plays out. But um, no, I'm not, I'm not locked in. Got it. Understood. And it sounds like we were talking about the ratings. It sounds like a lot of people aren't locked in, but there's a lot of extenuating circumstances this year, especially yeah. as to why that would happen. Are, yeah. And those ratings are across the board in, in every Every single sport. sport. Uh, yeah, not just, I think it's, it's for a lot of different reasons. There's not one reason. And uh, I don't, I, it'll be interesting to see if that's the case next year when we get on a more regular cadence for the other sports. I don't, I don't think it will last. I think we're still uh, a continent that loves our sports and loves our teams. And I, I still feel that passion uh, and that avidity is there. I think all of us hope so, uh, Mark. <laughs> um, yes, yes, it's safe to say we all do. We'll all yeah, be throwing yeah. our gloves on the yeah, Yes, yeah. Um, listen, 2020 has been an unbelievably tough year, especially for leadership. And I'm not saying it because you're on the line. said it a couple times over the last little while. Have, have you been able to do much reflection? Or because of where we are, is the, the focus still on what needs to be done now? Well, um, first of all, let me say that it, it has been an extremely tough year, but certainly not tougher on me than uh, people who have lost jobs, people who have lost income, you know, around sports and, um, you know, the, the challenges of leading through this. Uh, while they've been many and the uncertainty, most of all, none have been more challenging or more difficult than recognizing uh, not just the fans that it impacts, but the people who rely on us. Uh, for their living, both directly and indirectly. So while it's been tough on me, I, I certainly don't feel like it's been toughest on leadership and on me. Um, and as far as reflecting, um, no, I mean, not my nature to do that. You know, my nature is to put my head down and keep trying to manage and lead through it. Um, I think that one thing that, uh, whether it's, you know, from the day we left Dunedin in March 14th uh, and then almost every day since, it's been a lesson in kind of understanding that you can't control very much and you have to adapt as you go um, and that you've got to stay consistent. You've got to stay positive, but you've also got to stay flexible because the uncertainty is the only constant in what we've dealt with. Mark Shapiro, Jay's president and CEO here on Tim and Sid. Um, Mark, yesterday in another conversation with the media, you, uh, you mentioned that you're going to present your budget to Rogers and the full disclosure, all three of us work for Rogers. You're going to present your budget for next year um, in about a month. In your mind, how do you? Uh, that's a fascinating meeting from my perspective. Do you go into that meeting and say, you know what, I'm going to swing for the fences to hell with it? The worst thing they can tell me is no. Or do you approach the board more tactfully, considering everyone's taken a haircut here and we all know the situation we're in? How do you approach that meeting? Well, I was hoping you guys could run it on 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 air poll and just approach it uh, and just use that as my as, okay. Thank you. No, uh, listen. Uh, if if that meeting was standalone uh, in presenting kind of a recommended budget, then I don't think we get very far. But that meeting is in reality an extension of a plan that we embarked on three years ago, um, and we started to see some tangible and objective progress in uh not just this past year you know but i think with the elevation of our 
of our organization and our prospects and then seeing those guys transition, seeing them handle adversity and challenges and show the toughness they showed this year. So supplementing, continuing to do what we did with Ryu and, uh, and, and other transactions last year and really at the deadline this year with, with zero revenue and a very tough environment, you know, that is ultimately what we will be presenting and proposing. But the dialogue has been consistent between both leadership at the corporate level of Rogers and, and Edward Rogers, who takes a personal interest in, and is invested in the team and the support and encouragement to continue to progress, to continue to supplement and build around our core young players has been consistent. That, that has not, you know, I'm not expecting any surprises when I walk in there, uh, but we need to be prepared and we need to make sure that, you know, we present, you know, the realities of our business challenges along with our excitement about our baseball situation and circumstance. If you aren't playing in Toronto, how much does that hurt that bottom line? Well, I, you know, again, I, I, we, we've looked at a range of scenarios. I'm choosing to be optimistic while planning for all scenarios. Um, I can just say there's, I mean, there's scenarios playing in Toronto that are as bad as not playing in Toronto at all. So it really has to do more with kind of a two, two or three basic things. One, the border, you know, that's, that's the basic hurdle after the border. It's, you know, where are we from a show social distancing and, and it all gets back to public health. And I, you know, I'm going to tell you this, like we've been deferential to public health from day one. There is maybe no place that's had as good a leadership and guidance uh, at a local provincial and federal level as, as Canada and Toronto. Um, we will continue to be deferential, you know, because, there are things far more important than sports and baseball, and we'll react off of that. But those are the things when I'm thinking about how we plan, it's a variety of kind of, is the border open? Is there a vaccine? Has it been widely distributed? Is it being taken? Um, you know, there, there's a variety of scenarios that would impact our, our revenue. We, we've run all those. We've talked to a lot of different people who are going through a similar process in and out of sports. Uh, to try to come up with a best guess. But that's what it is. It's a best guess, like anybody else. Mark Shapiro, Jay's president and CEO here on Tim and Sid. Mark, I've never played baseball in April in Buffalo. I would anticipate that can be a little <laughs> that can be a little hairy weather-wise You're, from you day to be day. Very happy. I was I I'll take yes, I'll take the pass on that. Um but like I mean I'm sure that's one of the scenarios you're obviously looking at here is is if you can't start the season in Toronto and forgive me for trying to go down this road of complete unknowns again, because you don't know either, but is it, is it more, is it more realistic to think if you have to start the season outside of Canada next year, it will be in a more Southern climate. Is that fair to say? Well, let me just, let me just say this, that, uh, you know, the, the minor league situation and circumstance is also uncertain at the moment, you know, will there be minor league baseball? If there is, what will that look like? Um, so, you know, I think we've got a plan around if there is minor league baseball that would take out those facilities. Um, I think a lot of the work we did last year will serve as a foundation, uh, for the work we do moving forward. But again, uh, particularly on a public level, not to tell you that we're not doing work behind the scenes. I'm going to stay positive and optimistic that we'll be playing in Toronto because there is literally no place else we want to play. And every place else is a distant second to being in Canada and in Toronto. Mark Shapiro, 
uh, president and CEO of the Toronto Blue Jays, joining us here on Tim and Sid. Well, uh, we'll try not to walk down the road of the unknowns too much, but I think you understand that fans want to know or at least want to have an idea of, of what the future could hold or the options of the future. On the field, however, we've, we've talked about how good a year it was for you and the team to, to see the steps forward again. What do you guys need to do on the field to continue that forward progression? What do you need to see? Yeah, so I mean, some of it is natural progression of young players. Like you know, Ross and I were talking yesterday, and like we clearly, you know, we have two very clear areas of need to improve, and that is our defense and strike throwing. Um, however, if you look back at the history of even Hall of Fame players, defense is one area that does improve as players settle in and mature. There is just some natural transition where, so I think the natural progression and development of our players at the major league level will help some of that defense. In addition, we probably need to to add or supplement some players. Uh, There are multiple ways we can go about doing that. So I'm not going to, I'll let Ross lay that out as we go through the off season. Um, And certainly we need to look at, you know, uh, not walking as many people because that makes it extremely difficult on your fielders. It makes it difficult on your run suppression. Um, so I think those are the biggest areas. Um, we could get better in every area, like every team. And I think ultimately it's always just, you know, how do you score more runs and prevent more runs? That's, that's, that's how you get better. Uh, but I think what's most encouraging is the traits and attributes of a championship team, toughness, determination, perseverance, not taking excuses, finding ways to win, believing in themselves, being great teammates. Those things were on display this year combined with real talent that allowed us to outperform most people's expectations, everyone's expectations except for their own, to be honest with you. So uh, we'll continue to build off of that foundation because that's real. It wasn't just 60 games. That's been evident over multiple years. It's been evident over championships in Vancouver, Dunedin, New Hampshire, uh, and I think it's evident when you're, if you're, if you could just be around these guys, whether it was when we were in normal spring training or while we were back in training here, uh, to be around them is to feel their belief in each other and their belief in their ability. Mark, I just got to follow up on the defense because I heard it yesterday and, and I heard you um, make the note of natural progression. And I understand that. I made the argument for it several times on this show that don't judge a guy at 21 or 22 because at 25 he might be something completely different, and we here in Toronto should know that because we've seen a lot of late bloomers uh, play in this market. But that said, can guys improve at the major league level continually, or is there a point where you have to start making hard decisions on guys who aren't there or don't get there soon because Sid and I were just watching the CSs and commenting on how great the defense was that helped the Rays and Dodgers get to where they are now. I think you, you know, you, you look at a player two to three years in, depending upon how old they are, if they're, if they're average age, when they get to the big leagues, if they're younger than average age, like a lot of our guys are, um, you know, you may want to give them a little more time. I remember, when I was a young farm director in Cleveland, future Hall of Famer Jim Tomey was coming up. And at that point, he played third base, which you guys probably remember. And I remember Johnny Gorl, who was a, a veteran baseball guy, still a guy I talked to and learned from all the time. Uh, Johnny was kind of sending me stats of Mike Schmidt 
and the number of errors he made and Derek Jeter and the number of errors that, you know, so, you know, if you go back and look at great players and the amount of errors they make and the mistakes they make early in their major league careers, it's not, it's, I'm not, it's, I'm not throwing something out there that's, that's unprecedented. There's a very strong precedent for that. I'm not saying that that will just happen for every guy. I'm saying you've got to be patient and you've got to, you know, if you have a reason to believe in a guy, his work ethic, his passion, his belief, his talent, what he's done prior in his career, uh, then you'll probably see us give a guy an extra opportunity or chance. If we have reason to doubt that uh, based on the past, then we'll, we'll probably look to fortify with an alternative either short or long term. Mark Shapiro is not only president of the Jays. Sid freezes every once in a while, Mark. I'll, I'll just talk to him there, once. Yeah. yeah, he freezes. It's a digital freeze in the basement. I had such a good I question, was, was, too. Was I was ready to go. It was a suspenseful, it was a suspenseful I was, comment. I was take waiting two. to hear what else take I had. So forgive me to both of you. Take two. What I was saying was uh, Mark is also a member of, of baseball's, we are, baseball's competition committee. And there oh, were some okay. some rules. Sorry, that's where I was going with it. Uh, as I have, I have a request and then a quick question, Mark, before we let you go. The request, as a consumer of your sport, we're both fans of baseball. Please keep the yep. runner on second base and extras. Please. I do not yeah. lose that. I, I don't need to see 15 innings in July. I don't need it. And, and it's, it's good for the roster as not well. Not, not okay, not good. It's good for player health. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think, uh, again, those things have to be negotiated with uh, labor, with, with the union. But... Uh, more than anything, you know, it was just great to see some open-mindedness. And, you know, we always walk that balance in baseball. It's the most traditional of all sports, which can be a great thing. Um, but we can't be resistant to being open-minded about how we can improve our game. And I don't think those extra inning games serve anybody. And they actually end up causing injuries and impacting teams for two, three, four weeks at a time based on the hangover that you get from playing them. Um, so I think that one was a big success. Um, the seven inning double headers I'd like to see continue as well. I'm not sure. I, I kind of like the strategy in the shorter game, and uh, you know I like the what that did for our pitching as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see which things we keep. Obviously, those need to be bargained. Um, but you are you are in the room where it happens. So I, I, just to, <laughs> to put a bug in your ear, sir, I, I think uh, I think it would be great. And also quickly, Mark, I saw a report how the DH in both leagues won't be in play. Next year, is there any is there anything you can say on that? Because I because I was a fan of that I as well. That, I got to be honest. Yeah, I think that that'll be approached again. The CBA is up. Our our collective bargaining agreement with uh, the Players Association is up at the end of next year. Uh, I think that's going to be. I, I do think that some universal rule uh, is is forthcoming. I'm not sure which way it'll go, but the players will have ultimately some say in it. I'll I'll note your your poll of one uh, on the on the <laughs> and ensure. And ensure that that vote alley uh, in in the competition committee when I have the next time I'm in the round. Uh, listen, I feel like we could talk baseball with you for a long time. Uh, really appreciate your time, uh, but we've run out of it. Thanks for doing this. No problem. Let's uh, let's do it again when the, we're in the heart of winter and we need some uh, some light. Yeah, um, we might need some help down the road. Um, thank <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Uh, thank you. Okay. See you guys. Thanks again to Mark Shapiro. And coming up after the break, we're going to chat a little more Jays. One of baseball's top prospects graduated to the big leagues this summer. His name is Nate Pearson, and Blue Jays fans should really be pumped about his future. As well, Austin Martin, the Jays' highest draft pick in 23 years. You'll hear from both of them next. This is the best of Tim and Sid. And if you're wondering where Sid is, he didn't want to do this, and I didn't want to hear him female dog and moan. So I just did it myself.
This is Tim and Sid. Sportsnet 5 Night of the Fan. Welcome back to the best of Tim and Sid. Tim McAuliffe wishing you and yours a very happy holiday season. Thanks again to Mark Shapiro for joining us as always. Now, there's tons of excitement for the Blue Jays in these parts of town. And it would seem as if the best is yet to come for this version of the team. So let's take a look into the future. First, here's our conversation with fireballer Nate Pearson. Nate, what will you be watching this weekend, man? You're, you're going to be a fan like the rest of us. Yeah, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I'm going to be uh, watching some baseball with the, with the boys in, uh, here in D.C. when we're, we're chilling here for the next couple of days. What, what was it? I mean, people here, and I know that you guys have been in Washington the entire time, but people here have been talking near nonstop about your debut and how well the Jays came out of the gate. Let's talk about your debut for a second. What, what was it like to get out there and, and make your first big league start and do it the way you did it? Yeah, it was, it was a dream come true, you know, um, not not being able to have my my family and friends in the stands uh, uh, stunk a little bit, but you know there I felt all the support. I knew that everyone was watching and everything, and I just uh, just wanted to give my best shot uh, to the to show the Blue Jays fans what's what's coming in the next few years with this young group we got. Nate Pearson of the Jays here on Tim and Sid. Uh, Nate, correct me if I'm wrong. Forgive me, I've been wrong a bit lately. Your family was at a hotel in D.C. Uh, just a few blocks away watching. Is that is that where they were? Yes, they're uh, they're here in town. They're watching from the hotel. And what was it, what was it like seeing them afterwards? What was it, what was that interaction like? Uh, it was it was emotional. You know, my my mom was crying, so it made me cry just seeing her all emotional. And my dad, you know, he's he's put so much effort and just so many sacrifices, all the lessons for me growing up, and just to be be able to share that moment with them was 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 everything. It was awesome. I know it's not quite the same, but they were there because they're not far from home in Dunedin for your for your spring debut when you had it in Dunedin. What, like your dad called that phenomenal. What, what did Pop say after this one? He, he was just saying you're amazing. Like you're you're a stud, and uh, all the hard work's paying off. Um, he just so many emotions going going through. He was he was just very proud of me, and uh, it was a great feeling. Nate Pearson of the Toronto Blue Jays here on Tim and Sid. Nate, when you went back into the dugout when you were done your fifth inning, it was apparent you were done for the night because uh, everyone was laughing. Like it was just it was one pat on the back after another. Pete Walker and Montoya. What 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 were they saying to you when you when you walked down the steps? They're just saying great job. Like they they didn't expect anything less. Like they're just they're just pumped to finally have me up there because you know I've been. It's been three years since I got on the org and uh, been on that prospect list for three years. And they're all just talking about how, the, how bad they want me up there. And I finally got my shot. And they're all just uh, proud. And just everyone was was happy that we we're in a good place, that we were, we were winning some games, and uh, that we were, we're ready to go this season. What? Uh, admitted... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Sid. I, I was, was going to ask, what, what surprised you in the moment on the mound that maybe you weren't expecting? Uh, just, uh, just taking the moment to realize I'm pitching against the, the reigning national champs, you know, like the world series champs and, uh, Trey Turner, my first at bat or first uh, guy I face. And it's just like, it's, it's Trey Turner, the shortstop, you know? So it's like, it's, 
it's not in the minor leagues anymore where you don't really know the guys you're facing, you know? So every guy that came up there, I, I've heard of and knew of. So it's, it was pretty cool. Nate Pearson of the Toronto Blue Jays here on Tim and Sid. Nate, I was watching MLB Network for most of that day leading up. And every time they brought you up, first off, it was in glowing terms. And secondly, they mentioned 103-104 in every sentence. It was Nate Pearson. He can hit 103-104. How, how, how tempting was it for you to get out there knowing full well the baseball world knows where, how, how deep you can, you can reach in terms of speed? to pull out what, like a one Oh three and just, just, just give everyone a bit of a show. Yeah. You know, so, uh, I knew I probably wasn't going to be able to hit that, uh, that famous number like I did, uh, in the past, just because, you know, fresh into the season and still kind of building up. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to show off my, my secondary stuff, man. Cause like I'm, I'm known for my, my heater, my fastball and, and it was good that it was good in my debut, but what I really showed is that I could pitch, man, and I can I could throw with my slider, I can throw my change, I can throw my curveball, I can throw everything at these guys, and that's kind of what I wanted to show. It's funny you talk about that a lot. Do, do so many does it does it affect your mindset when so many people just want to talk 103, 104, and you know as a kid that grew up loving baseball that. Pitching is more important than the 103, 104, even though the 103, 104 is real nice to have. Like, does it does it alter your mindset? Like, I'm a pitcher, man. I'm a pitcher. Yeah, you know, so when, when I got into the minor leagues, it was I was still, like, crazy about velo. And, like, I still am. Like, I love that I throw hard. It's a, it's a big part of my game. Yeah. But once I got into the Pro Bowl, I realized, like, I can't just – just throw hard. Like I got to be able to pitch. And if I want to be a hall of famer, I gotta, I gotta get some secondary stuff. That's just as good as my heater. And that's what I pride myself in. That's what I worked for. And, uh, so I want to kind of not eliminate the, just the stigma of just like, Oh man, he goes hard. Like I, I want people to, to say that, Oh man, he's so gross. He's nasty. Like he's seen that slider. He's seen that, that curveball change up. Like I want them to be talking about my whole arsenal. not just my heater. It's funny because you mentioned Hall of Fame. If I want to be a Hall of Famer, I've been so impressed with your mental game. I've heard stories uh, being told about your mental game. Like, is that the goal? Do you realize how good you can be? Yeah, I mean, I know I know, I have a shot uh, to be great. And uh, the way I think about it, the way my, my mentality is so good is because I just, I know the opportunity that I have and I'm not going to blow it. You know, I'm not going to, do anything stupid like I'm going to focus on my craft and just try to get better each outing and do everything I can to keep learning and not be closed-minded and always adapt and uh, change my routine when I need to uh, you know just not get so fixated on on one one outcome or one routine and just get comfortable you know you got to keep pushing the limits you got to keep striving for greatness. Nate I think it's gross that you just said I need a secondary hall of fame pitch like that's, I'm like I'm glad Tim kind of kind of focused on it because that I think that's what separates and Tim, Tim and I talk about this all the time. You, that's not the mentality a lot of 23 year olds have. I mean, we've seen enough 23 year olds coming through the majors. They're like, you know, they want to stay in the fourth spot. They want to be in the rotation for a while. They want to prove. You're telling us you 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 have a different mentality about what you can do in this game than some other young kids. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just understand the the opportunity and the shot that I have. You know, like it's, uh, 
if I have a 10, 10 to 15 year career, you know, I want to make the most out of it. You know, I'm not going to be able, be able to throw hard and uh, be able to pitch my whole life. You know, I got a limited opportunity here in uh, the next decade or so. So I'm trying to just trying to make the most out of it. Just seize the opportunity. Again, a huge congratulations, Nate, uh, on Wednesday. I know there's a lot more to come from you, but uh, that was a big moment with your family not far. And, uh, and a lot of JCNs were really excited over that. We appreciate the time. Let's talk again soon. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again to Nate Dog. Can't wait to see him back on the field very soon. Now, here's another one of Toronto's players of the future. Austin Martin. He joined Donovan Bennett and Sid in the summer after being drafted fifth overall by your Toronto Blue Jays. Austin, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How you guys doing? Pretty good, pretty good. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I, I can only imagine what your first pro ball experience has been like basically in quarantine. Try and, try and describe this for us, considering this is also the biggest moment of your baseball career, trying to establish yourself among these guys yeah no doubt first of all i just want to say thank you guys for having me on the show today i really appreciate it but um uh this is uh i mean what more could you ask for really when it comes down to your first professional baseball experience being you know in canada and toronto around the big leaguers you know where you aspire to be where you dream to get and just being able to hang around with these guys being able to pick their brain a little bit just this is a very big learning moment for me, and I, I plan to take full advantage of the time that I have with these guys when I have it. Well, one thing you could ask for would be to not be living in a global pandemic where you have to quarantine in your room and you can't really enjoy the city that yeah. you're in. <laughs> what has that experience been like? You're trying to transition to a new city, a new team, a new clubhouse, uh, a, a, a new level of play, but also um, you know, under some stringent rules. Um, yeah, like I, it, this pandemic has kind of made a little whirlwind of craziness uh, for everybody um, in all aspects of life. So, of course, you know, I knew coming into this that it would be a little, a little different, a little unorthodox. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think this transition has become a lot easier just because of how welcoming everybody has been so far in terms of the players, the staff, just the people here have been so nice and so friendly. So. Um, it's a lot different knowing that, you know, I can't leave my room. It's just a hotel to the baseball field. But at the end of the day, I'm happy and I'm really enjoying my time here. Awesome, Martin. And the Toronto Blue Jays here on Tim and Sid. Who's taking you under his wing, Austin? Who's who's kind of who, – who are you gravitating towards? I mean, I know there's a lot of young people around you. But who are you, who are you gravitating yeah. for? Um, I wouldn't even say it's one particular person. Like I said, as, as everybody in this organization has just been so welcoming, I've, I've been very impressed. I feel at home. I mean, with only being here four or five short days, I feel at home and I feel comfortable already. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily one person that I'm gravitating to directly, but as the group, um, the group as a whole has been very welcoming and um, allows me to just, you know, indulge myself in the group and become, you know, a part of the team. The one person that people have made some comps to, because this is kind of what we do, uh, has been Bo Bichette. And it's not just because of the ball, the the flow or the bat speed. You know, it's because of, uh, you know, the relationship that you have with him and his family. What's it been like to, to be close to him and see him go to work every day? Um, 
it's, it's been awesome, honestly. I mean, not even Bo within himself. I mean, obviously, yeah, he does things at a very high and elite level, but I would say the same for everybody here. Um, there's just been so much that I've learned just from just from watching from afar, just seeing how these guys operate, how they their mentalities, how they come in and get their work done and stuff. So um, it's just been a great learning experience. Do you like the sight lines at Rogers Center? A lot of fans hope you like the sight lines yeah. at Rogers Center. Do you like the sight lines at Rogers oh Center? This, is, this stadium and this, this city and this country has been beautiful so far. I've been nothing but impressed. I've heard a lot of different opinions on what your best position is in the field. What do you think your best position is? Just on the field in general. Um, I don't think – I don't know. I, I, you put me on the field and I'll, and I'll play and I'll perform. It doesn't really matter necessarily what spot. Wherever I'm needed is where I'll be and it's where I'll, it's where I'll play. Because there are guys, there are. I mean, I'm sure you played with enough of them in your short career. If they're not in one specific spot, they're thrown. You're telling me you're not that kind of player. If you, if you, if, if, we plug, if that team plugs you into any spot, you are going to have the same mentality, and you feel like you can rake just the same. Yeah, no. Any any spot in the field, I feel confident in my abilities to be able to take care of the baseball and to be able to, um, you know, help help my team whatever way I can. Uh, great question, Sid, because it was the question I had. Because part of the value that you bring, similar to, to Kevin Biggio, is that you can play all over uh, the diamond. Um, so m- m- my next question goes in a different way in terms of value. Um, it, your agent, Mr. Boris, did some nice work on your behalf. Uh, yeah. when, you're, when, you, when you see what you're making in your above slot, what's the first purchase like what's the first thought you waking up in a brand new bugatti uh, is austin martin going to be an austin martin like looking for the digital dash like what is the purchase that you're like okay i'm doing this first well for one austin martin is not trying to go broke after he signed that is one thing um <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, no i mean where my where my head's at right now is I just want to take care of my family. I want to give something to my mom and my dad because if it weren't for them, then I wouldn't have even had that opportunity to be able to, you know, receive such a signing bonus or to be able to, you know, have this opportunity to uh, play professional baseball. So um, I don't know what I'm going to get them yet, um, but it's definitely going to be something for my parents. Austin Martin went fifth overall last month in the MLB entry draft to the Toronto Blue Jays. A lot of people in the Jays organization weren't expecting it, and we're very happy to see this young man there. He joins us here on Tim and Sid. Um, If I were to have talked to you a week before the draft, Austin, and and just asked you flat out, what do you think of the Jays? What would you have told me? I would have told you nothing but good things. Um, When I said that there was only two teams that I had really wanted to go to before the draft happened, it was Miami and it was Toronto. And the reason being just because of, you know, the areas I'm me being from Florida, Miami's close to home. My family would be able to watch whatnot. But then Toronto, because I mean, former teammate Philip Clark, who was drafted by them to uh, 2019, he just had so many good things to say. And I, I've never heard anything bad about this organization. I've never heard anything bad about this city, this country. I've only heard good things. So definitely this is somewhere that my heart told me would have been a right fit and a good fit for me. Listen, Austin, there are a lot of baseball fans in this country really excited you're here. And uh, we wish you nothing but the best here in this unique journey to start your career and, uh, and just try and have fun with it as best you can. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Austin. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks for having me, guys. Y'all have a good one. 
All right, we're going to take one last break. It'll be Fred Van Vliet on the other side, the Raptors guard who bet on himself and my guy cashed in 85 million times. The oxymoron that is the best of Tim and Sid will continue in Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Welcome back to the best of Tim and Sid. Tim McAuliffe beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Don't know why I put on an accent. Raptors' aspirations of going back-to-back this year fizzled out with a second-round exit versus the Boston Celtics. Then they lost a couple of important figures from that championship run. So pour a little out for parade MVP Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka. But Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster betting on a new core, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and a guy who bet on himself. Donovan Bennett and I spoke with sweet Freddie Van Vliet after he signed his brand new monster deal. Here it is. It's one thing to bet on yourself. It's another to put in the work and be able to take those chips to the window and cash out. Fred Van Vliet has done that a couple of times now, and we welcome him to the show. Freddie, thanks for doing this, and congrats on the new deal. Man, thank you. Thanks for having me. When did you know that you were going to return to the Raptors? Uh, I mean, I, that was kind of our plan the whole time. But, um, you know, just when the deal got done was, what, Saturday? Saturday morning. So um, that was a big, big relief for me to, to have that kind of behind us for sure. Now, we noticed in the deal, player option for year four. So you're still – betting on yourself to be able to level up. How do you want to improve over the span of this deal, the way you've improved in your career so far? Um, just keep making jumps. You know, I think keep continuing to be more efficient um, and then tighten up a lot of the things that I'm already good at. Um, and just, I think with, with a bigger role and a bigger opportunity, I'm going to have more chances to make more plays and do more things and become a better, uh, even, even more better of a leader. Um, so everything that I've, I've done thus far, I can get better at. And there's areas that I need to improve that I will improve in. So I'm excited about the next few years and what that will look like as an individual. But ultimately, you know, the, the goal is, is to keep working towards that next championship. You, you do realize that you've become almost the example to bet on yourself, to never give up, to keep working. Like other guys who are now passed over use your name as inspiration that it can be done. Do you know that? Like, Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's, it's cool to be on this side of it. Um, but, you know, the others, I was just on the other side of it not too long ago. So um, I, I don't forget, you know, my memory is, is not that bad. I remember a lot of uh, situations that I've been in, a lot of people saying certain things. And, um, you know, you just keep that with you and you try to be gracious and humble along your way. But in the back of your mind, you know, you, you always keep things in perspective. But um, I do think that it's important that a lot of guys who are in the similar position I was in can use my story, but just, you know, understand if you really want to use my story, do your research and, and, and really dive into what that took because it's not just as simple as saying, oh, everybody's overlooking me and they don't think I'm good enough. And then, you know, you sign for a big contract. It's not that simple. 
All right, let's examine that because I, I love it. Um, in this day and age, sometimes things become this tight little story that people can easily consume and move on. To me, it does a disservice to what was actually accomplished. Like, what do people miss about your journey to this point that you want them to know? Like, it's easy to say, hey, get on your grind or rise and grind. But it's another yeah. thing to actually do it. Yeah, I mean, it's just you got to be the only person in the world who believes in yourself more, you know, than anybody else. Like, you can't. I have an incredibly, you know, important support system behind me um, that allowed me to feel these type of things and, and allowed me to to be on this journey. But at the same time, they couldn't do it for me. So what I see with a lot of guys is there's people around around them that believe in them more than they believe in themselves. And that can never be the case. And for me, I've always been kind of classified as like this crazy, ambitious, arrogant guy who felt like, you know, he was always better than what he is. But, you know, who's to say I'm not? And and I'm not going to ever let anybody else put a value on me. I'm the only person that can determine my value. And, you know, that's what's, what's led me to this point. So, uh, there's no way to sum up the story. You just have to kind of look through the story and look through the highs and the lows and um, understand that you have to be okay with accepting your role because I did when I first came into the league. Yeah. I had to accept the situation I was in. But it never dimmed my flame to the point to where I just fell completely into that because if that was the case, I would still be an end-of-the-bench guy. Let's talk about that support system. Because when you originally signed at the beginning of your journey, uh, the money as an undrafted free agent isn't in the paper. Now you sign, the money's in the paper, it's on Twitter. Uh, how many people are starting to hit you up with numbers that you don't recognize trying to be a part of that support system now that you've really leveled up? Uh, not too many. We keep a tight ship over here. So I kind of cut off the fat really early in my life. Um, and that, no, that 500000 I was making my first year, that was in the paper in Rockford, I guarantee you that. <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram, and they didn't get clicks, but people been knowing what I've been making for the last four years, so I'm used to it. But we've just been running this tight ship. I mean, people see it now because I've made it to what the public views as the top of the mountain. But, like, the stuff that I'm saying now, the stuff that I'm doing, I've been on this for 10, 15 years now, and then just now it makes sense before you get to that point, it just sounds crazy. And, you know, people look at you like you don't know what you're talking about or, or you know, you believe in yourself too much. But now it makes sense. And, and now everybody can look back and say, oh, okay, he did know what he was talking about or he did know what he was doing. Or, man, how did we miss that? You missed it because you wanted to miss it. You know what I mean? That's just, that's just how it goes. I love that we're hearing part of the support system right now. Is, yeah, is yeah, that the same? They got, as a, yeah, they got big boots on and beads flying around their heads, crying, <laughs> jumping around. So they never, they're never too far away. Hey, don't worry about it. I just dropped my son off back at school. Um, so let's let's talk about this because I, I, when you bring up the support system, obviously family, friends, people who work with you, people who have worked with you along the way, and teammates. And Kyle Lowry had a pretty cool Instagram post when the reports of your signing came out. And he talked about the blood, sweat, and even the broken teeth among that post. Um, and then talked a little bit about the man that you have become. What, what is Kyle's support meant to you, especially when you're drafted, he could be looked at as the guy who had the spot you wanted. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's my brother, man. It's hard to, to put into words. I think that, um, 
what he's speaking to is more so the the relationship. And I try to tell people this all the time. Like when I came into camp, Kyle didn't know me from a can of paint. And, you know, he showed me the respect. But I also demanded my respect as well. So when he when we had our interactions, I think he saw just how I was on it as far as my character and, and my play and the way that I was, you know, moving. And I saw that he was open to me a little bit, and I just knew I had to take that and run with it. So, you know, I tell people all the time, my first day at camp, I thought I was trying to get to the gym, you know, early. Kyle had already been in there for an hour and a half. And then, you know, he comes up to me and says, you know, here, Rook, carry this bag for me. And, like, I'm like, all right, shit, I'm in the NBA. I carry I carry all your bags if you want me to. Like, I don't, you know, but now that I'm in this position, I see guys that don't do that. There's rookies that come in that don't want to do their rookie duties. And it causes a, a, a rift, you know, between the players. And so I say all that to say, if I was coming at him like this is the top guy, I got to cut his legs off from underneath him, I wouldn't probably be in this position I am right now. And if he kept, if he was a jerk to me from day one, you know what I mean? Our relationship would have never been what it is to this point. So we would never been in a position to help each other. You know, we just got through the draft process and I found it really interesting that people were saying Peyton Pritchard, a guard like Kyle Lowry, Malachi Flynn, a guard like Fred Van Vliet. <laughs> when, when you were a guard in the draft, people were looking for a guard like Fred Van Vliet. Is there something we can learn that you guys have, the intangibles, the competitiveness, and that's not just about the measurables that evaluators should be looking for? Uh, nah, you can't teach it, man. And I've, I've struggled with that in the last – two months myself watching this draft unfold is like I've been getting that the Peyton Pritchards and the Malik and I'm just like I don't know like I see the game yeah okay but like what I have I don't even know what it is you know what I mean so I can't look for it as somebody else it's like it's between your ears it's all mental for me at least just speaking for me but um you know only thing you can do as a guy like me is just appreciate that that's even the possibility and I spoke on it a little bit earlier, like I don't think some of these kids would have been getting drafted if my story doesn't go this way because they would be looked at in a different light. Guys like me were obviously weren't appreciated when I was coming out. So here we are four years later and these guys are getting drafted and, and I, now I'm a player of comparison on draft night, which is like the funniest thing in the world to me because, you know, I, I went undrafted. So um, you just appreciate the journey and, and kind of, you know, how things have changed so quickly and the way that the NBA changes, we all know it's a copycat league. So I think there's a lot of teams looking for the next Fred Van Vliet or the next Kyle Lowry and saying, how do we not miss on guys like that again? Yeah, without a doubt. It's a great point. Um, speaking of the business, how, how tough is it to say goodbye to Serge Ibaka and Marcus All? It's tough, man. It's tough. Those, you know, those are two of the better bigs in the league and have been for a long time. Um, unbelievably great people and friends and brothers to us and just having that veteran presence in the locker room and on the plane and just, you know, having that advice and people to lean on when you need it, um, keeping things fresh, keeping things in perspective. Obviously we won a championship together. So that bond is lifelong. Um, so it's tough to see him go, you know, you understand the nature of the business and how those things go. So, um, we wish them the best, and I just I just can't wait to put both of those guys in a hundred pick and rolls and <laughs> double team them and 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 you know, be annoying and foul them. So 
Uh, we'll miss him. I'll miss him more as people than I will as players. But, man, we'll probably miss him on the court for sure. Now, I know you and I know now that you have the money, you're not going to forget about the movement. And you were really outspoken in the bubble about the Black Lives Matter movement. And so as we move forward to a new season, what can you, what can the, the organization who's been out front, what can the league and the players do to kind of keep that conversation going? Um, continue to raise awareness. I think I kind of shifted my focus once we decided to resume play. Um, and once I learned some details about the league that, that you know, I won't speak on publicly, I, I kind of shifted my focus away from the, the pretty, you know, the words on the court and the words on the jersey, all the symbolic gestures, like, let's get to the real work and let's see what we can really do. So um, I'm doing work in my hometown like I always do. I'm going to continue to try to find work to do, um, you know, in Toronto. And maybe, you know, we'll find some stuff to do in Tampa. So just put your boots on the ground and get to work and make real change. Um, I'm working on a couple scholarship programs. So things like that, that that's long-term effects. Um, I'm not a politician. Um, I'm not a, a social activist. And I think that for me, um, I'm not going to act like one because it, it, it gets clicks on the internet. So I, I just want to shift my focus a little bit away from like the broadcasting in the mainstream um, effect of saying those things on TV because it just becomes null and void and the people behind the scenes that are making real changes are laughing at us anyway. So let's let's see how we can get real change. And child was just on the phone. Um, Larry called me yesterday, Mr. Tannenbaum. And those are the interactions that I want to have. Can I speak to him like I speak to my brother or my dad or my mom, you know, and, and ask him for things and and he respond, all right, that's changed. Like, get him on the phone and, and let's let's make some real things happen. It's funny, as soon as you said boots to the ground and do some real work, I thought that's what got you where you are in life, period. Uh, it's, a, it's a great way to put it. Uh, we've always enjoyed the conversations because they're real. Um, whatever the topic has been, and this has been no different, thank you for the time and come back on the show whenever you want. All right, brother. Thank you, guys. All right, a big thanks to Fred Van Vliet, Austin Martin, Nate Pearson, and Mark Shapiro, as well as Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, and Kyle Dubas for joining us this year. And everyone who took the time to speak to us here on Tim and Sid, 2020 was a crazy year, and we can't thank you enough for tuning in. Hopefully as an escape at times to everything that was going on in the world, in all seriousness, we are both remarkably proud that we stayed on the air like the rest of this station, through the worst of times. Doing a show from the kitchen and the closet, because as cheesy as it sounds, true friendship isn't only about being there when it's convenient. It's about being there when it's not. And this station honestly appreciates that you invite us into your car, your home, your smartphone, and your Alexa, and your, all right, you get it. We appreciate it. We've got one more look back for you on New Year's Eve. I'm Tim McAuliffe, and this has been the best of Tim and Sid. And from both myself and Sid Sixero, we wish you all a very Merry Christmas and an amazing holiday season.